All right, and we are live, guys. Welcome to Stacking Mondays. Uh, welcome to the show. My name is Mirko Schmidl. I'm the CEO of Stacking Awards, and today we are honored to introduce a very special guest at Stacking Mondays, Luca Prosperi of the MakerDAO Foundation. Uh, welcome to have you on the show. Um, for everyone who doesn't know Luca, Luca writes an outstanding subject called Dirt Roads. Uh, you can check it out on dirtroads.substack.com. Um, it features like uh, different DeFi protocols and like different things in the industry with one issue per week. Uh, it's one of the best Substacks um, in all of DeFi. So be sure to go there, uh, hit that subscribe button. Um, Luca brings a, a very unique perspective to a lot of DeFi issues, I would say, um, especially DeFi governance. Um, and we also want to talk about that later, of course. Um, Luca, you, you spent like 15 years in private equity, uh, bad terminal cancer, got married, and then decided that crypto was the, the place to be, uh, joining MakerDAO as a senior, senior advisor, especially on the Real World Assets Initiative. And uh, you, you obviously bring a very seasoned perspective uh, to many of the growing pains that DeFi is going through today. So I think this is uh, going to be a very interesting episode today. Um, yeah, welcome, Luca. Anything else that you would like to share about your background or, um, for our audience today? Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me, Mirko. I think just clear, uh, simple clarification, but I think it's important. I'm not a member of the Maker Foundation. I'm just a community member. Actually, the Maker Foundation doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it's, good, it's, it's an important disclaimer for liability purposes. And you gave, you gave a very short, short version of my life, uh, but thanks for having it. I, I haven't seen the light and joined MakerDAO. Probably haven't seen, I have seen the light and, and got married and also got involved with MakerDAO. But I think <laughs> it's just a matter of how you list the priorities. But thanks for having me. It's going to be right. interesting for sure. Yeah, of course. Cool. No, yeah, great to have you. So uh, let's start off like with, with a few rapid fire, um, just like uh, two sentence answer type of questions. Um, just to get to know you a little bit better. Um, what was the trigger event or key experience in your life that made you decide to go into crypto? Uh, I mean, very quickly, I, as you mentioned, I have 15 years of experience in traditional finance. I used to be a strategy consultant, an investment banker and an investor uh, in financial services. I had to step back from my daily business because I had to cure myself and save my life uh, when I got diagnosed with blood cancer during COVID. So I was thinking about starting something on my own. I was already playing with DeFi at the time. And, and then I stopped for a second. I was starting to go into, uh, into like road showing to raise a fund. And I was like, why do I need to do something that is old at inception? And why not? I don't I join the revolution? And that's how I got involved 100%. Awesome. So did you ever second guess your move into DeFi and crypto full-time? Um, or like, what, what were your learnings since you joined, just like very briefly? I think I, think I was, uh, it has been exciting. Uh, I think it over-delivered. Uh, I knew, I, I'm old enough not, not to drink the Kool-Aid, so I knew there were a lot of, lot of uh, issues in a new, in a new uh, sector. I wasn't overexcited during the bull market. I'm not overstressed during the bear market. So I think it definitely over-delivered, especially I was not expecting to have such an impact and a success in the following of my research so quickly. I've been in this space full-time for a year and a half, not more. But for me, full-time, it means quite a lot of time. Right, yeah. I mean, obviously, a lot of things happened uh, in, in just the last year, of course. So how, how did you decide to work for the MakerDAO, actually, or to work together with MakerDAO? Or how did you get involved with MakerDAO? Uh, as I mentioned, I was starting to think to raise... Uh, 
Thread Five's vehicle to to lend money through a banking platform to or alternative lenders out there. Uh, I'm not gonna go into the detail of why I thought this was a compelling case, but then I saw that MakerDAO was starting to approach the idea of financing through DeFi pools, traditional assets, real world assets. So I got involved, they asked me to audit a couple of deals they were doing. I saw the potential. I also saw the lack of sophistication of the way they were doing it. So they asked me to get involved. They offered me a grant. Then that grant in a project became the incubation of a, of a core unit. And then, you know, my, my footprint in the, in, in the community just grew and grew up to where we are today. Awesome. Yeah, very cool. And uh, we'll obviously talk about the Rearwood Assets initiatives later in the episode as well. So... Um, as a former private equity investor, like who, who turned into DeFi, you've seen like basically the best of both worlds, like TradFi and DeFi governance. Um, like what, what would you say, which governance model do you think is superior today? Um, and which one will be superior in five years? Uh, obviously, TradFi is superior. Uh, DeFi, it's, it's a very immature experiment. There are no checks and balances. And actually, there is way more concentration of power than you would think but the potential is immense. The potential of the transparency, potential and responsibility potential is immense. So I'm very excited to keep working in this space. And I'm sure that in five years time, the DeFi, the DeFi governance, uh, governance standards will, uh, will be way superior to TreadFi. But now we still have a right. lot to learn. Yeah. So you, you do believe that the DeFi governance, like a decentralized governance um, will kind of succeed in, in the coming years? I think it would be. It's difficult to say decentralized and, and, and centralized. I think a lot of a lot of the a lot of the technological characteristics of DeFi will be incorporated. Will definitely improve and amplify what the way we do things today. So I think it will be kind of a merge. Right. Uh, we yeah. can go into the detail later, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So who, who in the crypto industry do you admire or look up to most, and why? Sorry, say it again. Who or who, what? Uh, who like which person? Uh, I mean, uh, a few fellow researchers, uh, Vitalik, obviously, he is, uh, he's an incredible mind, uh, but I'll try to stay away from worshipping. It's not something I do. Uh, Hasu is a person I truly respect, and I have the, I have the opportunity to work a lot with. Uh, Money Supply, as well, is a researcher I truly respect in crypto, works at also at Maker. A lot of smart people uh, happen in Maker. Mika is another researcher that got involved recently as a delegate and maker. There are a lot of like, I like very detailed, dry, um, content-oriented researchers in DeFi. And I try to stay away from um, people that exaggerate way too much on the claims of how we can change the world. We're not just changing the world. We're just improving it as many people did before us. Right. Yeah, I feel you. So um, what's an activity you do to uh, take a break from all the drama and fireworks and crypto? Like, what do you do for fun? Uh, I used to be a professional athlete. I used to be a triathlete, long distance triathlete. I had to stop because of my disease, uh, but I still ride my bike quite a lot. So that's my, my favorite way to get out of uh, the crypto insanity. Awesome. That's really cool. And uh, so guys, stay with us. Uh, today, we'll talk about the, the MakerDAO itself. We'll talk about what's unique about MakerDAO's governance. We'll talk about cults of personality within DeFi. Um, we'll talk about the governance battle within MakerDAO today and uh, generally like what the industry can and should do better. 
Um, and we have with us Luca Prosperi. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. So let's let's get started. For, for anyone that has questions, just put them in the comments here. Um, make sure to hit the like button and uh, subscribe to the channel as well if you want to hear more episodes of Stacking Mondays. Um, and yeah, uh, any questions for Luca? We, we're doing uh, a live interaction in the end. So just put in the questions if you have any for Luca. Um, just put it in the chat. So um, maybe to get started, like, um, could you give us and, and our audience like a brief description of MakerDAO in general? Like, how do you see MakerDAO and its DAI stablecoin and the the unique role of MakerDAO in, in decentralized finance overall? Yeah, so I think what fascinated me of MakerDAO at the beginning is that it was very, very different. Sorry if there is some background noise, guys. I'm in the office. Uh, hopefully it's fine. It was very, very different from the other money markets like Compound and Abe. I think people in crypto try to bundle all of them as lending protocols, although they're very, very different. Um, in Aave and Compound, you, you pledge an asset. So you renounce to the yield of one asset uh, to borrow another asset. Or, or to get some type of loan, uh, lending, uh, lend, uh, sorry, lending yield on that. So you're kind of swapping the risk of one token for another. Uh, that's a, it's, a, it's a money market slash volatility market between a token and another. In uh, Maker, it was very different. Maker was actually had a very simple, uh, but I think revolutionary idea where saying if you're coming forward with a collateral, that has some recognized value that we can actually piggyback on. You come, you give it to us as a pledge and we will print money and give it to you as a loan. So uh, the, in doing this, Maker really performs monetary expansionary activity. So it's printing money the same way central banks do through their discount window, but in a very streamlined and permissionless way. Uh, and since people hold DAI, which is a stable coin that is produced by Maker, to store value in crypto, so not to ask access yield or, or farm or anything, de facto the cost of Maker to print this, um, this, this coins is zero. So you have a permissionless streamlined protocol that allows people that have high quality collateral to get leverage pretty much at zero cost, which is incredible. Now, this, um, this construct can be expanded into many, many use cases. And you can see immediately how through the um, composability of DeFi, you could have Maker as a program or something like Maker as a programmatic source of liquidity for the whole space. And then a lot of protocols or use cases that have a proven or market proven value attaching to it and receive an access liquidity. So people, some people call Maker the central bank of DeFi. And actually, I don't think it's too far away from the truth. So when I, when I saw the idea of Maker to get uh, plugged into the, the real world ecosystem, I obviously saw the potential because instead of if you have high quality collateral, instead of going to negotiate with a, with a bank to get financing, and it's very cumbersome and convoluted, you could actually do it in a permissionless way. So the, the potential is immense, but obviously how to get there, it takes a long time because it's complicated. So I'm uh, usually allergic to shortcuts because shortcuts for me, is shortcuts are shortcuts to hell. 
pretty much. But I think the the potential was immense. Yeah. What what do you think does it take for MakerDAO to become the central bank of DeFi? Like, what 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 are the characteristics of a central bank in DeFi? You think that MakerDAO has or like should get towards or like work towards to in the in the coming years? I think what MakerDAO has for sure is trust and respect of the crypto community, which is priority, uh, which is characteristic number one. So we use the dollar as the reserve currency of the world because we trust the stability of the US, US economy and the US, uh, the, the independence of the US central bank. Now, current, recent, most recently, when people started losing a bit of trust or, or over that independency of the central bank, we start seeing the interest of others to diversify away from the dollar. But I think we still have a lot of trust for the dollar, all of us, even in crypto. I mean, we peg most of our stablecoin to the dollar. So there, there is... There's some, some, some value in that. So I think Maker has that trust. Uh, the DAI has inherited the trust, which is immense value. And up to recently, at least, Maker was showing real intentions to decentralize, which I think is very important for a central bank of DeFi. You don't want anybody to be able to switch off or di divert uh, the wealth that you're storing in a currency, which is, which is very important. Um, what I think Maker needs to really become the central bank of DeFi is patience. I think you need to wait for the whole ecosystem to mature. Maker can use the, its bottomless liquidity at very, very cheap cost to incentivize the ecosystem to mature. But unless, until the whole ecosystem matures and starts onboarding more and more use cases that are not necessarily self-referencing within crypto, Maker will not be able to become a central bank of DeFi because DeFi will be a very, uh, a very small confined space. So I think, I think, I think uh, patience is priority number one. Uh, patience, not to, not to be too aggressive, not to be too bold, not to revolutionize all the time, and to keep decentralization going, and um, and to wait for the whole ecosystem to mature before before starting. Um, projects that might actually be threatening for the protocol as a whole if, yeah. if, if the times are not mature. I mean, it's it's pretty fascinating to see MakerDAO as like one of the earliest DeFi projects, I would say. Um, went through like a, a big crisis in March 2020, um, had a lot of governance dramas. Um, there was like other stable coins trying to gain uh, market share, like uh, obviously TerraUST and Frax and so on. Um, so it's probably like the, yeah, the overall, like, yeah, stability within like a, a crazy world of DeFi, um, that MakerDAO presents, I would say. Um, is that like, um, MakerDAO has like a, a much more, um, corporate style organizational structure, um, than the rest of DeFi. Um, like what, what was your experience when you started working in Maker? Like, um, how, how did you perceive that organizational structure in general? Um, and do you think that is um, like, yeah, of a, of a benefit for MakerDAO as well? Like why it's kept like so stable, um, like that it, that it has kind of like a, a more corporate structure, but it's also like seriously um, aiming for decentralization. I think um, I was impressed overall by the quality and the good faith of all the actors in Maker. Um, 
I think there are a lot of complexities in having a decentralized organization. So you want to, there is always a trade-off between centralization, decentralization and efficiency. So if you're keeping the centralized organization, typically it's difficult to be efficient, but you're resilient. So I saw a lot of, a lot of uh, parts of this organization trying to preserve this uh, value of decentralization while moving forward. And I saw, and also it's not only it's not only the, the structure of the DAO, it's also the quality of the community. I think there has been a lot of debate on every topic. And uh, until, at least until recently, until since I think in the last two or three months, the founder got more engaged with the protocol. There was not like one polarizing figure. And actually this helped a lot the community to develop. Um, I, I think what, what else? I think it's not necessarily fully a corporate, corporate-ish structure. I think there is not this kind of like hierarchy, um, but um, currently that, I mean, obviously Maker is going into a crisis as well. As a more structured uh, community is more expensive. You need to pay yeah. the contributors to attract people. And now Maker as well is suffering a lot from decreasing revenues because people are not really looking for leverage. So there has been, there's currently a lot of debate whether we should keep, reduce, amplify, change the structure of Maker in order to reduce costs. Right, yeah. Like, what, 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 like for example, what would you say that other protocols, other DeFi protocols can learn from the MakerDAO governance? Or like, what do you think they, they should, like, what are the things that have worked really well or have helped MakerDAO to, to function well? I think, so... I think the, the founding team of Maker is incredibly talented, but I think the fact that last year the founding team moved out of the picture and left the ecosystem, the, the community to develop independently was very important. We have, seen the, we have seen the impact of the gravitational field of polarizing figures in DeFi. The absence of a polarizing figure in the community really helped a lot. And I don't think, I don't know if there are many protocols that had that characteristic. Um, this is changing, obviously. Uh, the founder got much more involved uh, recently, okay. which has pros and cons. You know, vision, clarity of, of vision is, is definitely superior when there is one very strong person leading the, rallying the troops. But obviously, uh, independent voices or egalitarian debate suffers as well. So I think uh, there are pros and cons. But I think this push towards a more flat type uh, organization where everybody has a voice and every voice has some value based on the weight of the intellectual arguments has been um, a very important experience that I will always treasure for my future in DeFi. Can can you shed some light on like why actually uh, the founding team decided to leave? And then um, like now you said they're, they're coming back a bit more. Um, but like wh why did they decide to leave? And, and also what was like Ruin Christensen's like place in the founding team overall? I think, I mean, I can, I can guess because obviously I'm not part of the founding team. Uh, but I think there are, there are at least a couple, two, three reasons in my view. The first one, which is the most important, is the genuine intentions to really get the community more involved, exactly for what we said today, what we just said now. So we, we 
I think the founding team got the incredibly bold move of leaving the community develop independently. Uh, because, because I think that they, they saw the value, the value in the, in the community of the community in the project. The second one is probably, you know, the founding team after a successful experience of MakerDAO wanted to get uh, busy in doing other stuff at the, at the same time, you know, so there's always a trade-off. And the third point, which is, unfortunately, it's, is, it unfortunately is less romantic, but is real, is probably also liabilities. Maker is not a legal entity. Maker is not a regulated bank. Maker is not a regulated entity at all. Doesn't pay taxes, uh, although it generates value. Maybe not, let's not call them profits, but value for the token holders. So uh, having, having a team uh, controlling this um, would have been attack, an attack vector for the regulator. So having a decentralized organization actually taking care of governance uh, would have been probably a good, a, a smart move to reduce regulatory and legal risk for the founding team. That so I sense. think these are probably the three, the three reasons why the team got more engaged. Again, guessing games are not my games, but uh, we we are seeing a bear market in crypto. Uh, revenues are going down. Prices have been have compressed uh, for old crypto assets, including MKR. So probably the founding team, which is one of the largest. Um, token holders probably they're a bit nervous and they think they can do better yeah i mean it, it is like um for most of the DeFi protocols there's always like one person on top as well um so it really seems that people are also really looking for one person like really embracing like cults of personality uh trying to have one person that they can relate to um like ha have you seen that in your in your DeFi experience as well like is it um and do you think it's a it's a good thing or a bad thing or like what, what can be done to like, to kind of as an alternative, for example, because if it's really decentralized, it means there's no one, but it seems like people are really looking to have someone. Um, yeah. I think, uh, you know, I'm European, uh, I'm Italian. Uh, I have family who suffered during the second world war. I'm an independent mind. I am apolitical. And I try to stay away as much as possible from cult of personality. I think it degenerates very quickly in very nasty ways. So for me, I, I always try to believe in good governance. That's also why what attracted me in crypto. And if you read my research, I try, you will notice that I try to stay apart from some short introductions to stay away as much as possible from what I write. Um, um, but unfortunately we are humans and we are imperfect. I think there is a lot of value in very charismatic and smart people to lead the way and gather interest and excitement, but then it is difficult for those people. Only the, only the true greats step aside. And we have a lot of very smart people in the world. We don't have many true great people in the world unfortunately. So I think it's, uh, I, I would, I think that, that it is the time in this industry to, to move away from cult of personalities and start building censorship resistant governance me me mechanisms. You know, this is the whole, the, the whole reason we are here, even in the Ethereum, uh, in the Ethereum um, layer one 
environment, although there is definitely a cult of personality around Vitalik, because I think he's one of the smartest people that we have in the world now, but the, the, the governance rules and the censorship resistance consensus rules are not, are not built around the cult of personality at all. They're just trying, they're built in a very rigorous way, which I think it's something we should, we should embrace in other aspects of DeFi that we are not doing yet. Yeah. Oh, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about the most recent governance battle at MakerDAO. Um, if I understand correctly, like MakerDAO is pushing towards a little bit like getting real world assets as collateral or like diversifying collateral from like just stable coins to like in, into other real world assets. Like there, there's a lot of USDC as collateral in MakerDAO. Um, and there are probably ideas to like, um, yeah, kind of uh, transform that UCC into other real world assets or bonds or whatever. Um, like, can, can you maybe walk us a little bit, like before we go into the, into the weeds there, like how would real world assets in MakerDAO work at all? Because obviously MakerDAO, it's like, it, it, it works on-chain with like on-chain assets, but how would like a, a real world collateral work at all? I mean, there is no consensus yet on this. Uh, I think there is consensus around the fact that Maker needs to expand the collateral pool. I mean, crypto in general needs to needs to expand the collateral pool, because you know if you have a mono collateral or extremely correlated collateral pool, um, as you see, the, the balance sheet is very elastic. It grows very fast. It shrinks very fast depending on the demand for leverage, which is what we have seen recently in crypto. Now in Maker, it has expanded and it has shrunk in a very ordered way, which is great because even after the, the most recent crashes, Maker hasn't suffered, Maker stability hasn't suffered at all. But obviously that's don't, you don't wanna do that. You want to expand the pool and make it way more stable. So in order to make it more stable, obviously the uh, suspect number one are assets, use cases that are existing not in crypto, but in the so-called real world, which are way more diverse, diverse. I think as we go, as we go in the future, that differentiation between, between real world assets and crypto assets will blur because crypto rails will, will onboard a lot of use cases that were currently um, performing not on crypto. So that this, the difference will not, will, will not mean much anymore. But in general, I think the intention of real-world assets meant, okay, let's onboard assets that are not pretty much crypto trading-related assets. Uh, now, obviously, given the immaturity of the sector, it is difficult to do it because now, as you said, there is, there is an attack vector. There is a point uh, of, of last mile of weakness because you need some centralized counterparty, being a trust, being a company, being someone that let's say, gathers all the assets in the real world and tokenizes them, custodies them, and, and spits them out in the, in, in on-chain. So how to do that, uh, given also the lack of regulation, it is difficult. That's why Maker has been trying, has been trying to experiment with some real-world originators like Societe Generale, like HVB Bank in the US, and others came forward. Now, the approach that we have had and I was actually instrumental uh, for that approach is prudence saying, we don't have anything yet in place. So let's be 
let's keep the bar super high uh, uh, to, to onboard counterparties that want to help us put together the real world assets and bring them on chain. So Société Générale, for example, is a regulated bank, globally systemic regulated bank in Europe. So it has very, very high standards of regulation. Typically, if they tell us that they are, they are, they are custodying some assets, probably it's there because they're triple, quadruple checked. Uh, if you're a startup with two, two, two mates and they want to do that, that you're not regulated, you don't have skin in the game, you don't have experience, you don't have track record, probably the risk is higher. And given that maker for maker is very difficult to oversee all those exposures, we kept the bar very high. Now, what, how to do, it's difficult, obviously, because there are not so many counterparties yet interested. Now, what will come next? I think this is where there are differences in views. I think, in my view, we need to, you, we need to, we should try to incentivize other protocols to do the heavy lifting for us, like doing the, the origination, the structuring, the regulation, etc., and keep junior exposure and attach to MakerDAO in order to get free liquidity, cheap liquidity. Other people think that we should, we should experiment a bit more and, and provide liquidity and financing to startup teams. Other, others think that we should just keep doing business with big banks that are re heavily regulated, but not too innovative. So I think there are, there are different perspectives here on how, how to do that. But unfortunately, it's not yeah. easy because it has yeah. never done before and it will take some time. Yeah, definitely. And it would probably also mean like some some trade-offs in terms of decentralization, even working together with some centralized yeah. counterparties and so on. Um, so in order to facilitate like this this whole like real world assets, like you propose this uh lending oversight um initiative, right? Um to kind of like get like the to have the make it out foundation or like the, the founding team not get ahead of themselves and like securing deals and so on, like um, which, which seems like a, a good idea. Like, um, how, how did that like went down? Um, like the the whole proposal and so on. Yeah, I think I think the idea was to. So the idea had a few was originated together with most of the community, including the founder, back in January, and I think had a few intentions. The first one is to attract uh, experienced financial professionals like myself in the DAO in general. You have people that have 15, 20 years of experience in, at Wall Street. Probably they, have, they know something that other, others don't know, right? Because engineers, they, are, they have a different expertise, for example, or other community members, they have different expertise. Um, it was also, um, and I, I clarified this thing about real-world assets being like a bit of a blur between real-world assets and, and crypto assets at some point is, the, the, the core unit was created to provide oversight to any complex structured asset. I make an example. Like if you onboard staked ETH as a collateral, staked ETH is, is generated by Lido, is a full on-chain asset, but has some type of structured finance characteristics in it that you should know better. So we are, we are, we are seeing it now, right? We, 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 we have, we have believed the meme that stake teeth and it should be pegged, but stake teeth is a financial instrument, is a derivative instrument de facto. We should, we, sh we should have some, we should have some, um, some um, sp specialized skill set inside the DAO that helps understanding these financial risk characteristics that are not necessarily covered by the risk team nowadays. Uh, and also, 
making sure that there is a second opinion because we are all aware of the conflict of interest that exists in a DAO. You know, like this is a, this space is not is not heavily regulated, which is is also bad. So you have a lot of conflict of interests of large holders in Maker, for example, being large investors of counterparties that are coming forward to ask for a loan and community members that are well known and respected by the community that might not have the expertise to do certain things, actually obviously having a preferential treatment by the community when they wanna do stuff. So I think the idea was also to decentralize and um, depersonalize a little bit uh, the, over, the oversight of those, of those use cases if you wanted to scale from a few tens of millions of dollars to like hundreds of millions or billions. So that was the origin of the program in January. The program was incubated by the Sustainable Ecosystem Scaling Unit, which is a kind of incubator and facilitator of the DAO at Maker, uh, managed by two phenomenal people, uh, one and voter. And after six months of incubation, went into a vote last week. Uh, and the vote was quite, <laughs> quite a heated one. And he had end ended up with the community rejecting this idea of landing oversight and me uh, at least temporarily stepping out of the day-to-day -day operations of the DAO. All right. So, um, like, like from from the from from the last uh, article that you wrote on Substack, is it fair to say that you think like um, Rune Christensen and like founding team they uh, try to like push through some deals where they had like really severe conflicts of interest, um, and the the whole initiative that you pushed forward was more like yeah, really to to protect the interests of MakerDAO, um, the decentralized organization. Um, is that, is that fair to say? It is, it is fair to say, but I think what is important actually to, to specify is uh, intentions. I, there, ha there have been cases where very large requests in the, in the range of like half a billion to a billion dollars came from companies, real world companies that were invested by large maker holders, including the founder Rune and the founding team. So this is true. It is true that I, uh, I provided an opinion to token holders that was a negative opinion because I thought that this, this, these companies and requests were coming from uh, inexperienced and non-institutional sub, 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 quali subpar quality uh, counterparties. And I was not the only one. Um, and it's also true that the founding team didn't take this too nicely and they tried actually to come back several times with requests to override in some way or another uh, the um, this type of indications I mean I, di I didn't I didn't have any any authority there oh the authority is always with the large MKR token holders but probably my my voice had some uh, had some weight in the DAO now this is still true but what is important that I want to clarify is I don't think, I don't think at least Rune as a founder has done this in bad faith. I think he has done this because he believed that this initiative needed some bootstrapping and um, an urgency, you know, uh, just move fast and break things. Whereas on the other side, I believe in prudence, especially when you manage hundreds of millions of dollars as a stablecoin provider. Now, unfortunately, most recently, prudence has proved me right. Uh, I, I wrote I wrote quite a lot about 
Terra Anchor back in the day where I was very unpopular in saying that we had to be a bit more prudent. So uh, I, I still stick to my to my beliefs. Um, so I think he ended up it ended up like a, we ended up in a situation where there was a founding team very influential that believes that they should they they should have the control to bootstrap and streamline some uh, some innovations within the protocol and other people in the community that believed in prudence and the need to of second opinions and to move slow and to be a bit more institutional how we approach things so i think that there was the there was the origin of the disagreement and at some point the vote became some sort of proxy war between innovative DeFi founders and institutional traditional investors, the vote was um, was opposed by the founding team openly and some parties that look based on the on-chain activity you can you can see were actually very favorable about those deals that uh, where I was less keen on. And on the other side, on the yes side, there were some large, most of the large VC holders at Maker, I think all of them. But some of them came. Some of them came public, came out publicly, like Andreessen Horowitz on Blo or Block Tower. Others didn't, but I know them all because they they confirmed their endorsement to me in private. So it became some some kind of proxy war between institutional investors and traditional VC traditional founding teams, and this that narrative propagated, as you can imagine, in so many different ramifications that were probably far away from reality. Another point that before before I, I let you I let you ask more, another question on this is, I think he also came into a point where the team was coming with a budget request, obviously, like all the core units, and we are going into austerity at Maker because revenues are going down, our costs are sticky, so obviously that didn't facilitate. Uh, we tried to make this as budget neutral as possible, but obviously this was part part of the part of the equation as well. That makes sense. Yeah. What What do you think is the issue with MakerDAO's governance? Um, maybe I can have uh, I can explain an example from my own experience as well. Like in the uh, twenty twenty March twenty twenty, like the uh, zero bit liquidations in MakerDAO, um, like there there was a vote as well um, to have affected vaults uh, be reimbursed basically, um, and there was a vote um, a yes vote a clear yes vote um, where the MakerDAO voted yes. Um, people affected should get compensated. And then like, I think a year or like um, something like that later, there was another word, like how much should be compensated um, to the affected MakerDAO vaults. And then there was an, another option which said like uh, zero, basically, I think it was zero. And then like another 12%, 15% or whatever. Um, and then somehow um, this thing, like after they already voted on like, yes, it should be compensated or like should be reimbursed to affected walls. Um, in the second vote, they basically, um, yeah, uh, kind of had this vote uh, to not be compensated at all, even though it was just a question of like how much. Um, it shows to me that like something is kind of broken in the whole uh, governance system of, of MakerDAO, like this incident as well. Would you... Do, do, do you share that or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, thought, I, I thought a lot about this over the last uh, couple of weeks. Um, I thought about it before, but I think now I had the time to reflect. I think in general, I mean, actually it's way more than a couple of weeks because I, I, we, I've been quite vocal about it also in the past. But I think in general, a couple of points. 
first of all, I don't believe in direct democracy, uh, meaning I think we cannot keep asking every question to everyone. I don't think Tim Cook uh, uh, goes out in the shareholders in the shareholders meeting and asks about the single specifications of the iPhone uh, or stuff like that. It's messy, and I think this type of this type of um, this type of decision making process actually um, benefits the lobbyists rather than the doers because in order you need to shout very loud and you need to make your point very extreme if you want to be heard and sometimes if you're like working on something uh, you don't really benefit from it so i think there is a kind of adverse selection of uh, of the quality of the ideas and also there is no as going to back to your point there is no guarantee of stability which is very important to build stuff through time and attract smart people and keep the clients happy. Because if you keep changing your idea every month, then it's very difficult to get anywhere. There is an example, like I was an example because the idea of the landing oversight core unit started with with the support of everyone. And then six months later, the the protocol decided that it was better not to have it. You know, I I have 20 years of experience in this space almost, I'm getting old. So for me, as an opportunity cost, when I get involved into something and I would probably not do it again or not advise anybody to do it because six months of work uh, also on financial terms is a lot of value. But also there was another example about onboarding a, an event core unit at MakerDAO. So a core unit that was would have been responsible for events and parties in conferences, et cetera, which, you know, probably anybody who has been at Ethereum in Denver or Amsterdam, they know the Divinity Party, which is Maker's Maker's Party, probably one of the coolest and has a lot of benefits for the brand or whatever. I mean, probably also a lot of costs. That core unit with the budget was approved, I think a couple of months ago. And now there is a war starting to, to offboard it and take all the budget away. away. And I, you know, I, I don't have a view. I'm not a PR specialist and I don't have a view about the, about the quality and the merit of the investment. But it's very difficult to build something and onboard high-quality people if they need to defend themselves after every two weeks not to be off-boarded or not not to have like a U-turn in the decision. And we have seen this with counterparties as well. We've, we started approaching very large and very institutional counterparties in the real world to interact with us, to, do, to, have in, to, to put together initiatives in huge size. And you know this stuff takes time. If we change our mind every couple of months, nobody will 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 get engaged. And uh, we again we will have an ad, an adverse selection of uh, of ideas. And that, this goes back to my the the most important point. I think they've been reflecting on recently. I don't think that DAO governance now has um as a system of governance, as, as adopted a system of governance that is censorship resistant and incentivizes um, virtuous behavior. I think we should go back for a second and rethink the way we use governance tokens to take decisions in DAOs in order to incentivize the best behavior. Now, it's probably not necessarily the case today. We have spent a lot of time in thinking about consensus building on the layer one level. We haven't spent way enough time 
to do it at the governance level. And I think given the money there is at stake, it is quite important before we decentralize. Otherwise we just run companies, which is fine, but let's call them companies. Right, yeah. But then do, do you think, um, for example, instead of direct democracy for DeFi protocols, having something like where the token holders vote for like one person, like one authority to make a decision or like give someone the authority to make a decision, like do you think that should rather be um, the... Uh, Yeah, uh, an outcome of a governance or then it would be much, much more like a traditional company, right? Where like the shareholders or the board of directors, they uh, vote like a CEO and then he makes decisions or whatever. Um, do, do you think that would be a solution or rather a bad idea? I mean, I don't know. This is a very sensitive topic, as you can, you can imagine, between the, liber like the more extreme libertarians and the pragmatists. Uh, and I don't think anyone is right or wrong. Um, there are even in Maker... And I was mentioning Hasso. Hasso has proposed an alternative solution where we have some type of council, council of makers, people that are voted and are responsible to, to draw the long-term strategic direction of, of the DAO and more operational decisions are taking at a lower level. I don't know. It's, it, it is complex, but going back to the point I was making at the beginning of the call, we are not inventing anything here. We're just iterating and improving And I think an organization, organization of tasks and knowledge and workforce is one of the things that made us grow and improve as, as humans. Now, we need to keep using the, the, the transparency ability of blockchain tech. But at the same time, this doesn't mean that everybody needs to do everything. I'm a bit allergic to populism in general. But so maybe not a hierarchy, but multi-layer decision-making system will probably be helpful. But it's a sensitive topic, so I don't have a solution. Um, and I, but I want to stay away from the memes of, you know, if you if you start to organize yourself, um, you will become more of a company. You will become a capitalist. You will become TreadFi, or like you know, you know, it's always it's always, the devil is always in the deep in the details. Sometimes the least organized um, human environments are actually the more the more dictatorials. The, so. I think I think we I think in general we need some type of st structuring of decision making process if we want to if we want to grow. But where you strike the balance is difficult, and probably the balance is different for for every use case. So probably maker maker will work. You know, I'm a big fan of Rye as a project. Rye is a super purist uh, spin-off of fork of Maker. And they are very simple. They're very pure. They are very basic in the way what they want to do. They want to do one stable coin that is kind of oscillating around the value of one only asset, immutable as much as possible. So it means being very low touch, which is great. If you want to do stuff a bit more sophisticated and structured, not sophisticated, and less, less transparent to monitor and to oversee, probably you need some type of knowledge and decision-making structure as well. But Striking the balance is difficult, and it's not for me to tell which which is the right balance to strike. Yeah, certainly, and uh, we'll probably take another few years to figure that out. Ultimately, um, yeah. if not like decades, but like if if you um, had to pick like one DAO today that you think is doing a really good job at like keeping a balance between decentralization, scale, and accountability, like what what would you pick? I'm not. I don't have my knowledge of the DAOs that I don't work in, it's not deep enough. I think Maker, I think Maker overall has done an incredible job being pioneer. 
and I'm proud to be a community member. I will not be facilitator of the Lending Coversight Core Unit based on the vote on the vote of the MKR holders, but I'm still a community member. I participate daily on discords and forums. I might have a, a, a role in the future of the DAO, I don't know, but it's still a, a place I belong, where I belong. I don't know if there are other DAOs that are, are um, comparable. So I'm fortunate that I, can, I, cannot, I, cannot, I cannot say, but I think Maker remains not only for insiders, also for people that are not in Maker, a, a kind of like reference point for governance and, and, ta and talent and idea generation in DeFi. There is probably a reason why. Now it's a crossroad and hopefully we will choose, we will choose wisely, but I'm, I'm pretty conf confident that the Maker is a very, very strong community. So I'm looking forward to see the next steps there. Awesome. That's really exciting. Uh, I'm looking forward to it as well. So um, to our last question here, before we go into some of the community questions, um, we, we ask it to all our um, guests on the show, like, what does the world look like uh, in a decade from now if you're wildly successful? Um, like, what is your personal vision in the in the DeFi space? Uh, if if I, I mean, in the sector I operate in, which is value distribution and, you know, intermediation, for me, if we're wildly successful, 80% of the people that currently work in the Wall Street banks would probably do a different job because they are not needed. So we can so. probably disintermediate all that sector entirely and also provide access of, to risk capital in a more uniform and meritocratic way across the world in other jurisdictions that probably don't have access to it um, or other sectors that don't have access to it. So I think if, if, I, if I have to summarize my TLDR, like if, I, if we are successful in this space, for me in 10 years time, uh, the access to financial services and capital will be way more homogeneous across the world in also in places like like Southeast Asia, Africa, and South America. I spent half of my I live half of my year in South America. I'm actually a resident in Brazil. So I see there what, what are the limits of a immature financial system. And that financial system is as decentralized and transparent and accessible as possible. So it's not in the hands of of traders, compliance officers, salespeople, and managers at Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley, where I come from, where not necessarily most, most people are creating value. They're probably monitoring it and retaining it. So hopefully I will disrupt the industry where I come from. Awesome. Yeah. So basically you are saying like, um, if we, if we are successful with DeFi, um, there won't be any like Wall Street anymore, for example. Um, however, these systems merge, but um, this is basically a, a system of the past. The, or, yeah, or probably there will not be five huge banks. There will probably be few operators that put together the pieces, uh, but it will be way more transparent, lower barriers of entry, were more, way more democratic than it was before. And I don't think DeFi is a retail game. I think DeFi is an institutional game. Uh, so I don't think uh, retail capital should engage actively and take risks actively too much into the DeFi plumbing. I think they should be kind of protected somehow. But, but you know, we have seen the value of DeFi now where after the, after the recent crisis in crypto, 
all the DeFi protocols, the lending DeFi protocols are still there, healthy. And the TreadFi black boxes that were operating in the space, pretty much all of them, almost all of them blew up. So I think there is value in transparency and distribution of tasks and capital. So hopefully we can expand that, that value proposition outside of crypto itself. Certainly, yeah. I think it's one of the key value propositions uh, that DeFi has. So um, moving over to the community questions here, um, we have Alan asking for like, how would liquidations of a real world assets work? Like you mentioned, there would probably be like a, another uh, institution or like some kind of entity um, that would control that, but like, how how would the liquidation? Because obviously, it's not like on an, on an on chain liquidation. You can just like sell the assets immediately. It's like a very smooth process. But for real world assets, like they may not be as liquid um, as like uh, a wrapped Bitcoin or like a UCC. That's obviously a crucial question, and we approached it in this way. I think in the long run, actually, it should happen the same. I think in the long run, blue chip assets that are digested by a MakerDAO system should have a secondary market, should have secondary liquidity deep enough to provide certainty of liquidation. And I think that is the ambition. In the short term, because it is way more difficult, the approach that I suggested is that liquidation should be a black swan. So we should get involved in asset classes where The yield is very low, um, but given that we have a very low cost of capital, we will still be profitable at scale. But the eventuality of a liquidation, although uh, planned in advance for, should really be extremely remote. So, for example, in the test that Maker is doing with Societe Generale, the underlying collateral of the bond is uh, the credit quality of the bank, which is a large bank. And the, the, the additional guarantee are covered bonds. So covered bonds are bonds uh, that, sorry, the additional guarantee are mortgage books. So it's a covered bond on Societe Generale with an additional lien of guarantee on mortgages. Now, covered bonds never, ever defaulted, not even in the Greek crisis. So they yield below any financial instrument you can imagine. The, the probability of default is very low and uh, treasury bonds will be the same. And I think my idea was exactly while we're waiting for this uh, sector to mature and provide secondary liquidity of the underlying collaterals, it would be wise to engage with very, very safe, uh, very, very safe collateral and very, very safe structures. Otherwise we have, we are at the, at, We have, we have a higher risk of being adversely selected and not having the collateral to, the collateral to, uh, to enforce if there is a liquidation. And being a stable coin with very thin capital protection, that could be destructive for the protocol. Imagine if you, if you need to liquidate for liquidity reasons, 500 million of something, and you go there and you cannot liquidate it, or actually is worth much less than what you, you were imagining in liquidation, that brings everything down. So that's that's why I think in the short term prudence is prudence is is the is the question. Try not to ever get into this into the point of liquidating an asset. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, we have another question here. So about digital identities, like what's your what's your take on that? Do you think that will play a big role within the next few years? 
I mean, it's fascinating to try to quantify the credit worthiness of, uh, of an institution. I think there will be a lot of research, a lot of development there. I think the idea of the value of an intangible asset, which is also an identity or a company identity, will merge with the NFT technology somehow. Uh, I'm, I'm studying personally NFT lending, not necessarily because I'm interested in the way I can leverage apes, but because I think there is, there is value in trying to quantify the value of an NFT that has some type of intangible value. And identity, it's probably something like that. I think there will be a lot of research and, and development in that space in the future. Awesome. Yeah, cool. So um, that's it for, uh, for our episode today. Um, normally, we ask our questions where to, uh, where to follow our guests. Uh, obviously, you have um, a great Substack, dirtroads.substack.com. So everyone watching, uh, make sure to check that out and subscribe um, to Lucas' Substack there. Um, are there any other channels um, that people can follow you or that you are very active at? Uh, as usual, Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter. So you can, you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is very simple. It's Luca Prosperi, at Luca Prosperi. So it's, uh, it's very easy to find me. And I, I, try to re I try to reply to everyone. So please be patient if it takes, takes me a bit. But I try to reply to any questions. So looking forward to engage. That's great. So yeah, thank you so much for being on the show, Luca. It was a great episode. Thanks for all the insights, um, everything for, for your sharings. Um, for everyone watching, make sure to hit that like button, make sure to subscribe uh, to our YouTube. And um, if you want to see any other guests on Second Mondays, just hit us up on Twitter as well. Or just text us. We're very open. And uh, yeah, make sure to check out our previous episodes of Staking Mondays. And uh, yeah, for the audience, for Luca, I'm Mirko. And as always, happy staking. Thanks for inviting. Thanks for having me, guys.